The final season of Power Book 2, Ghost, begins. And for Tariq St. Patrick, it's the moment of truth. In the wake of being betrayed, pushed out of the drug game, and almost killed, Tariq is out for revenge. Will he prove to be like his father and do whatever is to be done to protect his family and his future? Or is he his own man? Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now only on Stars and the Stars app. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears. Real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. family. It's Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of Street Politicians, the, the place, place where, where the streets, streets and politics meet. We're back on set. Yes, sir. We were separated for a yeah, little we while. Had a little, we had a little um, distant, a little distant travel that we had to do. Yeah. R.I.P. To a lot of folks. A lot of folks. Yeah, a lot of folks. We spent a lot of time dealing with a lot of death, unfortunately, a lot of police violence, a lot of community trauma um, over the last few weeks. But we're back on set today, and this show is really, really packed. Um, we're going to be talking about COVID, but not from the perspective of the vaccinations or um, the health risk, which we definitely are going to do a show that addresses um, that particular topic. But this is going to be more about our children and what has happened to them mentally, um, emotionally, and most important, I guess it's not more important than your mental health. Your mental health is number one, but very important is educationally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they say that black children will lose at least one year of education just in the shifting of moving from in school to out of school, which by the way, Schools in the inner city are not educating our kids the way that they should be anyway. anyway. We know that. That's we right. know that. And especially young black males, um, we know, are really, really struggling in um, the just the, the public school educational system. And not just that. There's some charter schools that I've heard from folks are not really working as well as they should as, you know, as well. And so just the education system in general, like every other system that we every other institution that exists within this country needs an overhaul. Um, I am, I have thrown out the word reform. Sometimes I might say, cause you know, you got to cover yourself cause the Negroes will find the day that you said, yeah, you said fool. I see it right there. You, you said you're lying. You That's how I told you, you're fraud. Yes. So no. So, you know, because I've been saying reform for so long, I catch myself. And in fact, um, you know, my book, was written a while ago. And now that it's out and I've been reading it over and over and studying the material and also, um, you know, just, just, it, well, first of all, I had to read it, which was 
difficult for the audio version. Congratulations for the Thank book. Thank you very much. It's coming May 11th, just May a few 11th. days, and it's going to be released. It's crazy how this process started. Yeah. Somewhere around um, July or August of last year, and now here I am, like With trying. A whole like, book. It's really coming out. Like, oh my god. But anyway, um, what one of the things that I wish I could go back and change. Uh, which will be a part of my next book because I'm in the process of write, writing my memoir. Um, but it, it says the word reform. It talks about reforming systems. And of course, over the course of the year, as I really have done a deep dive and have grown in my own uh, understanding of what has to happen in this movement, I realized that reform won't work. It will not work. I've thrown that out. And even though it says reform in the book as the title of one of the areas where I'm talking about what needs to happen with systems, if you read the content, it talks about overhauling. It talks overhauling. about tearing I down like the word and transforming. Yeah, transform. That's, that's a good word. That's my You're word. very good transform. with words. Transforming. Um, you know, just dismantling, really, and yeah. rebuilding new systems. So education... Uh, it's one of those institutions that where that needs to happen, transformation. That's right. um, and what we know is because they're saying one year, right, that these kids going from school every day, which is not that great, to being at home, even finding a spot in your house where it's you tough. could sit. And really just, you know, being being a, a parent and, and having to... Remote school, you know, both of my sons doing remote school and just finding two separate places in the house for them to do their own school. Right. It's, it's almost impossible. Because if you sit them together, it's they, not going to happen. That's never going to happen. So you, you sit one of them on one side, you sit the other one on that side, and then one of them is talking too loud or they hear the <laughs> other one, then the other one got the headphones and, and then the other one gets up because he gets a little bored. He gets a break before the other one does. It's too much. And he's in the screen it's and, too and much. you're telling him to sit down and they got breaks at different times. So it's just, it's, it's a, a lot. lot. So you had that. Then of course the teachers trying to figure it out. Other students, it was so much. So that went on for months, just trying to figure that out. And, 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 and don't let your teacher get COVID because then the then teacher's the out, the parents yeah. is out, that this... All of this stuff happened to try to get the education to operate online. And I still don't think that they figured out figured it out 100%. And now it's May. The year is about to end. So a whole year of education, maybe even a year and some change. Yeah. These kids have lost. What do we do? And really, honestly, if you think about it, it is more than a year at this point. Because this began last year. In March, right? Yeah. So this is, you know, really serious. And we have a bunch of guests that are coming on today that are going to talk about COVID-19 and education and what we've got to do to try to get our kids up to speed. Can't wait to see what they got to say because I need some help. <laughs> yes, that's this is why. This Helps is why. Me. Helps me. I don't have any more yeah, children because, listen here. Need it's, some help for my but kids. But people who have kids... It's a lot. You're the strongest. You know what it is? Is For me, I think the conventional way of teaching is just something I, I adhere to. Even if you, you homeschooling your children, just separating kids to where they're not able to interact is very difficult. Yeah. You know, because it, it puts them on these games. If you are a parent, then you know Minecraft, Fortnite. Fortnite and Roblox control your home, especially in these days. They don't even want to go outside. Yeah. My kids was into soccer. They wanted to go out soccer all the time. Now they want to sit on a game. And I have to 
I have to them. have to force them to. They only can play those games on the weekends, like. But Nintendo they would take over the Super game. Mario had us. It was like crap. Nah, it wasn't Don't like front. Fortnite. It wasn't like Yo, Fortnite. Yo, Super Mario was a big deal. Only thing Super about Mario was tough though. It Super was Mario tough. was a big deal. Like tough. we, you stayed in the house. Not just Super Mario. Mario. Just when it was the regular Mario. Because remember, Super Mario came second. When it was regular Mario. You were in the house trying to figure out how to get that thing to climb over and go up the wall and do the thing. But it wasn't like Fortnite. Fortnite. The thing is this. The difference with these games, right? Your your friends had to come to your house to play. Technology. Right? Technology. They playing with their friends from across the world. My cousin... They cousins live in Baltimore. They on a game and they talking to each other. They go, run, run, run. And it's like, yo, and it's so loud. It completely <laughs> takes over your house. It, yo, it is the weird, it is the, yo, this shit is the craziest thing ever. So my thought of the day today, um, you know, is speaking of transforming systems, I, you know, I just, listen, I, be tr- I just be trying to figure out why do we have to fight everybody all the time about everything? It's just too much. Like, that's literally my thought of the day. Why do we have to fight everybody all the time about about everything? everything? Why? So the reason why I bring this up is because in New York City, the city council of which, because, you know, folks say, y'all don't do nothing. Y'all, y'all ain't never changed no laws. You don't, you, you never, you know, you, ain't, you don't do nothing. nothing. Y'all, y'all did nothing. Clout chasing. That's also what we do. Meanwhile, in a place like New York, the other thing is you going working in other states. What's happening in your own state? Well, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you. So, first of all, many of the people in office, elected officials in the state of New York, are people we fought. To get them in office. This Helped. is a fact. And not just, when I say that, I'm not talking about I just endorse the candidate or like I make you donate. That's the funniest thing. Come almost 12 o'clock right before these deadlines. You got to donate, my son. I call you, got to you donate. and say, my son, you got to open up your pocketbook. Or your, you don't have a pocketbook. But your bank yes. account. And you got to donate to this one, that one, this one. You like, wait a minute. It's too many people. And it's usually a slate. And unfortunately, you can, you have to at least do $250, which we usually donate more than that. You've done probably about $500 per person. I I yes, have been forced very expensive. to do more. And, and I'm they, broke. Listen, they come to me and they're like, we need the $1,000 We're going to need some laws passed for this money, man. Yeah. <laughs> We and, do, and we, we do it. We, we've been doing it, right? The reason why $250 is significant is because you get matching funds eight to one. So for every $250, each dollar gets an $8 match from the city. Okay. So that goes into their campaign fund. And so if you, so when you donate 200, then 250, then that's, um, 2000. So it's, yes, $2,000. That they receive just off of that. So they want you to donate $250 if you can't do nothing else. If you can't do anything else, they need you to do $250. Anything else that you donate above that helps them pay their staff and do other things, right? And there's usually a limit on the amount that you can donate as a, a regular person and definitely as a corporation to any candidate, they have like a $4,000 minimum. It just depends on what it is that they're running for. Okay. So you know, we've been doing that. 
So now that's one, is that we actually do take our own personal money and ensure that we get certain types of elected officials in office. But beyond that, when I say fighting, what I mean is that we've had to actually work to transform the political landscape in New York to start getting more uh, candidates who are more radical even in terms of their thinking. And I, I like using the word radical because that pisses people off. Um, in terms Get pissed off. Radical, radical, radical. Yeah, no. So when, when we say that, what we're talking about, these are people who are super liberal, super progressive, right? And that's important because these are folks, and even in their super, super progressive state, we still got to fight even our friends to be like, yo, we need you to push harder. We need you to go harder because they're up against systems that immediately, once they walk in the door talking about we need to end qualified immunity, the whole system blows up. No, we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. But these are individuals who work to really push the envelope in terms of the things we care about from New York State where we just um, legalized marijuana. Let's talk about this story really quickly. The state legalized marijuana. Last session, they were supposed to do it. It came down to the last few moments, and our friend, Senator Brian Benjamin, somebody we helped helped him get elected. We worked with him. We we advised him. Uh, even though sometimes I have to fight Brian because Brian, he's fight. like, you know, I can't be doing everything y'all need me to do. It just ain't going to happen. But he still understands why we sent him to the Senate. Right. So he in last session was one of the only people who held out his vote and everybody was pissed off because they wanted to see marijuana get, you know, they wanted to see marijuana become legalized. He said no. Because he did not feel that, number one, there was enough being done on the expungement side for people who are currently That's right. in jail. That means jail. people who was in jail right. for selling weed was getting their records clean. That's and there right. wasn't enough he going wanted, on. They, well, he wanted to do more on that. But the main reason was because he felt that the licensing in terms of people being able to actually sell and get in the business of was those people who they locked up the, that was they told was criminals. <laughs> right. Now they're going to need to get a little licensing yeah, yeah. so they can make or, some legal or, money with marijuana. Because exactly. you done locked them up and said it was illegal. So now give them an opportunity to make some money while it's legal. Right. Except, translation, translation. Except. Not necessarily people. I don't know this. I don't want to put this on him. I don't know if it's folks that might have a felony conviction because I don't know exactly how that works. But he's definitely trying to make sure that more black and brown people have access into the pipeline so that they can get in the business of of, of, okay. of marijuana. Right. Well, I think most I think a lot of them people are saying that um they want those who were convicted of marijuana to have to, to have access to have to a, a you know, a certain percentage to be just advocated and put to them. So that I think that that's fair. Right. So he didn't feel that that was happening because okay. BB because you're doing, good. you're doing good BB. Because in the state of New York, first of all, one of the things that folks are supposed to be checking for me and I really want to know. I'm under, I've been told that the all the Republicans that are in the Senate and the Assembly in the state of New York are white. I have I, not I been able it. to have anybody show me one that is of color. Now, I might be wrong, but if if I am wrong, I'm wrong by one or two. You said no senators are black? No state senators and or assembly members that are Republican in New York, 
It might be the city council too. I'm going to have to check that out. I could be wrong about city council. I wouldn't doubt it. But from the state level, I have not found one. And so some other folks are doing the research to make sure. But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong by one person, maybe two people. It's a little sprinkle. Everybody is white. And so the Republicans, and of course at the time, we had that IDC, which was the independent caucus of people who got elected as Democrats, but they went into a small caucus and started to lean and vote with the Republicans. So the, the governor, Cuomo, who y'all just love Cuomo because you see him on TV love. and he's doing such a good job with COVID, which he's not doing more than he's supposed to do as a governor. He's doing his job. He's charismatic. He speaks well. He's fine. Yes, he is. Ladies, I know the white boy is fine. Excuse me. I mean, I said white boy. The white man is fine. I get it, ladies. I know. But nonetheless, when you look at his record in New York State, Governor Cuomo has been extremely problematic. And in some instances, I would go as far as to say that he and his administration have actually discriminated against black and brown people and particularly poor people. Now, I could go harder, but I'm not for the purpose of this conversation. So we, right, advocated to get a black woman back in her seat as the speaker in the state, which is um uh ooh, okay, which is Andrea Stewart Cousins, okay, a black woman. Shout okay, out to Andrea. we helped get a black woman who is now in the process of investigating the NYPD and investigating Donald Trump as a New York resident. Her name is Letitia James, and she is the the attorney general of the Tish. state. We helped get her elected. We helped to get several progressives in key positions within the state. And Brian Benjamin, who I just, we just went through what he's been working on. This is a man who was specifically one of our candidates that we ran and helped get elected. But they're going to say representation don't really mean No, I'm not talking about just representation. representation. What were they doing? But we're not talking about representation. We just gave you just some of the things. Tangible. Just some of the things. Okay. He's running sure. for controller now. I'm supporting him. This show is not, the street politicians is not involved, but we I'm not supporting confirm him. confirm nor deny any support. No, I'm supporting Brian Benjamin. I'm going to support him too. Um. Now, but in this city, the second ranking highest, the second highest ranking uh, elected official in the city the public advocate's name is Jamani Williams, who we also ran and helped him get elected. And anybody who you just go Google Jamani. Well, I'm just trying to say how that's gonna get black people free. Though. Yeah, okay. Well, we know. Come on, Jamani. <laughs> Jamani. That's what they say. Well, I'm saying you got all yeah, we heard that. Yeah, they got some stuff. But yeah. is that gonna get black people free? Right. So we we we're responsible they gonna get, for getting uh, black people free by ourselves. Well, you're supposed fine. to. You on the front line, yeah, you right. know, you Tamika. But Jamani Williams. Is that gonna get black people free? <laughs> <laughs> you crazy. But Jamani Williams, yet another person who was in the city council, and because of him, the city got has a crisis management system that actually helped to reduce violence in epic proportions in the city. First of all, we're talking about now maybe $40 million that is being um, designated for formerly incarcerated people, health services, uh, uh, jobs, and all types of programs, legal services. But is that going to get black people free, though? All of that. that. 
are coming out of the city council because of people like Jamani Williams and also um, city council member Fernando Cabrera. Cabrera, excuse me. So, and we could go on. We you could talk about a There's bunch a of people. Um, it, it, you know, folks who are now running. Uh, Vanessa Gibson is now running for uh, Bronx Borough president. These are our people. People Shout who out have to done Gibson. amazing things in the city of New York and in the state of New York. And and it just got to the point where we're actually able to do even more. We had just been trying to clean it up and get some people out and new people in. Now we're at the place where we can actually pass progressive laws and progressive legislation in the city. So back to my question of the day, because we went all the way around from that. Just to get back. To get back to it. The city council signed a bill ending qualified immunity. Because just so we know- just so we know, just so we know, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act is a federal bill that, by the way, uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, when he did his state of the, I don't know what, I think it was a 100-day address mm -hmm. just the other day, he mentioned, he stated that he wanted to see the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act passed by May 25th, May 25th, the anniversary of when George Floyd was murdered. That's what he said. And we're going to hold him to that. Let's go. But that's federal legislation that includes ending qualified immunity. And there are many, like, um, like Congresswoman Cori Bush and others, who have said that they will not sign a bill that does not deal with qualified immunity. And for folks who are listening who are saying... What is that? It means that you will be able to sue a police officer directly. He so that come they, out his check, come out his pension. That's right. So that they will have to pay if they are participate in an issue where someone is abused or murdered in an in a, in a, in a incident of police brutality. That's right. Okay. So that, yes, it is a federal, uh, uh, le federal legislation that we want to see get passed. But cities and states do not have to wait. Colorado, as a state, just ended qualified immunity. Teslin uh, Figaro always reminds me, Colorado as a state, New York City, city council voted to pass an end to qualified immunity. And when they sent the bills to the mayor, because mm -hmm. see, folks don't be understanding all the details. There's a when process. When they sent the bills to the mayor so that the mayor could sign all the bills and say, okay, I agree to all of this and send it back. He did not send the qualified immunity bill back signed. So that's why we got to fight. So that means why that we the got voice to of the people was, was just stripped from and us. And that's what the problem is for me, from these government officials. Like, you work for us, you know? And, and if, if the people are telling you that qualified immunity does not fit the needs of the people, then how are you going to continue to tell us that it does? You know, and, and I think that's the reason why, you know, the mayor is on his way out. Well, he was going to be out anyway. Yeah. Because his and time is his up. His time is up, but, but I'm saying he need to go. He really just need to go now. Yeah, a lot of people he in the way. feel that way. He's really in the way. And at this point, it's like, listen, man, we've seen what we're dealing with with police. And, and we realize that qualified immunity is one of the things that has shielded them and protected them. That's There's right. no real responsibility. There's no real consequences. When you understand that when you harm someone and you physically abuse and you murder someone that you can't get paid and that it's going to come out your check and you're not going to be able to survive and feed your kids and all those things, then you think twice. That's right. When there's no real consequences to things, then you continue to move on because the same taxpayers that you're killing are going to pay for you killing them. 
So that doesn't really make much sense. That, so, no, you got to say that again because people may not understand that. The same taxpayers that you're killing are going to pay for you to kill them. Well, but you got to explain what that means. So that means the money that is being allocated to the families who win these civil suits come from taxpayers' money. That's right. In so, many cases. I mean, they have in, some insurance policies, some, but there's still a large portion. There's a large portion that comes from taxpayers' money. So there's no consequences for that individual who takes the life or beats and abuses on a taxpayer. That's right. So that's what we're saying. So at this point, man, you know, come on, de Blasio. You done, you've been bullshitting long enough, man. Get out the way, man. Stop blocking stuff. We tired of fighting you about stuff that we want. Not only are we fighting him about stuff that we want, this is what he said he was going to be about when we voted for Man, him. That's what they all said. I, I, I Don't listen. Today is not the day. It's not the day. So, you know, it's it's just, I'm, I'm like, now we now we got to go to work on de Blasio again. And, and we got to go I, to work and, on a whole lot of people. Yeah, we do. And I and you know what, Mice? I actually really, really like de Blasio as a person. This is somebody I he's met. He's a nice guy. And he's a nice guy. But I found he really betrayed. He's a politician. My, he betrayed. I mean, I raised money for him. I supported. I stumped for him. Like, I was out there. And, I, and I'm like, wow. And, and, and now... And by the way, there was another man running, uh, Bill Thompson, a black man who I was more in support of, but unfortunately it didn't work out. And they also asked Billy, Bill, Billy is what we call, you know, but Bill Thompson, they asked him some questions about police brutality and some other issues. And I felt like he just wasn't, he didn't hit it hard enough. And de Blasio was like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, he's he like, was boom, on the boom, point. Boom, boom, boom. He was marching with us. Marching. He was out there. So, cause some folks will say, yeah, well, we said the same thing about this one and that one. No, no, no. De Blasio was with us. Yep. He was doing, uh, he Played was out the there game. when we were doing, um, when we were doing Occupy the Streets. Played the game. Sleeping out all night. Right. Marching to end, uh, stop and frisk 50,000 people on Father's That's Day right. down Fifth he Avenue, was, going to Bloomberg. He was Bloomberg. dating you. It was like, dude, he, was in he it. came, he dated you, he brought you chocolates, he picked you up. He said, yo, I love you. Boom, I'm he telling the, you. He used to be in Jamani's position that he's Everything. in now. He was the public advocate. advocate. And he was there. You took him out on a date, and he said yes. And then he didn't call back. No, he called back. He called. He, he called calls, back he calls. and said, yeah. But now but he's got a baby on me. I got a baby. And a baby you know what I mean? He got a, he got two other two families other that we found out about. Like, it's like, yo, really, chocolate. dude? Seriously? Listen. Wow. Man. This this is what I realized the politics. And he stole my credit. Everything. He did what he did. Used my social security number. I'm, I'm realizing the banana in the tailpipe thing is really serious, yeah. man. We don't we keep falling for it. Not again, though. I'm on him now. <laughs> no, nah, but you just gotta stay. We have to stay on top no, of it. No, we're gonna stay on top of him. But I understand my thing is this. What I, I, I realized, I was having this conversation yesterday, right? We have to understand what to expect from politicians. Right. Because they still politicians, right, right? Right. So if they promise you a hundred things. We're going to fight for 20. Because that's the reality. And we're going to try to get the, the next 80 out of the next four people that we vote in. Because we ain't going to get 50, 60. The reality is fight for 20 and 30. Expect. Expect. Fight, fight for 100% yeah, every day. 100%. But expect 20% because that's the reality that we live with. That's what politicians do. That's what this system and this, this system and structure was really never geared toward giving us equity and justice and equality, right? So as we incrementally get it, Piece by piece, we have that's what we have to expect. We can't, like, I tell people all the time, 
Nobody we vote in is going to change, give us freedom. It ain't going to get, black people are not going to get freed by the vote. What we're going to do is get incremental change and incremental evolution. And we utilize that incremental change and, and evolution and we add it to what we do on our own. Yeah. We add it. We well, don't, because we our communities still have to operate. Exactly. The communities still have to operate. we still got to operate within, within right. the system. Right. The hospitals need to yeah. work. So those the, things You need happen. a grocery store. These are things that still have to happen. And therefore, these elected officials, you have to keep... Until they do away with the elected officials in America, which is not going to happen anytime soon. We got it. You got to make sure that the ones that are in there are people that you can push their buttons and make them do the things that you need them Some to do. The and it may not be all of it, but I'm not willing to allow any area around me to go uncontrolled where my voice at least is not a part of the process. So that's the deal with that. So my favorite segment is the change makers segment. That's right. And One of mine's too. We have a, a great brother who is coming to us today. Uh, his name is Amen Ra, but he is better Amen known Ra. as Principal Ra. Principal Ra. From okay. Compton. From Compton. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So he's the founder of the University Pathways Public Service Academy. Uh, he is known to be a revolutionary educator, mm. uh, and he's with the Compton Legacy Foundation. Now, this man is changing the world in education, and we know that Compton is not one of those places where they like to educate our kids, yeah, right? especially so, not the, the, you know, the, the regular school system. Right, the, that's right. So you have to actually create your own, mm -hmm. which is what you were talking about earlier. You said, hey... We need to work the elected officials that we have because they, first of all, we have to shake their money, their pocketbooks out and get the budget so that That's we right. can use our taxpayer dollars to create things for ourselves. But we have to use the system that currently exists and reduce its um, reduce its influence in our communities That's as right. much as possible. But still, since it exists, we have to have our feet in it and make sure that we have control over and at least a a, a huge part of our our voices are heard in those spaces, while at the same time creating our own. That's and right. Principal Ra has figured out how to create an educational component for our communities um, where we can, what is it, for us, by us, FUBU? FUBU. Uh, you know, to educate our own kids. So we're happy to have Principal Ra with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Peace, King. Hey, no, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be in this space. And uh, just thank you for the platform. And thank you for what you guys do to advocate for our communities and put it out there in a way for our young people to connect with. So thank you for allowing me to be here. Well, yeah. thank you, man. We uh, we we want to always celebrate brothers and sisters from our community that are doing things to uplift and be revolutionary and help our kids, you know, have a better chance than we did. So we want to salute you, man. So what? So give us some background. You founded this university, P Pathways Public Service Academy. Like, how did it, how did you get to this? What is the the process it took? Absolutely. First and foremost, you know, we go by the U because we know University Pathways Public Service Academy is a long name. So we go by the U. The and U. I was I was the youngest principal to be the founder in the second largest school district in LAUSD. And how this came about was I'm born and raised in the city, Watson Compton. If you know about the West Coast, you know, it's the hub and the dub. So to create a school in which I came from, in which the city I come from was a dream come true. So really. The concept of the school is under my under my my ideology is 
we can't, if we grant the system permission to feed us, then we also grant them permission to starve us, which mm. is coming from education. Amen. So it's important, it was important for us to have some kind of ownership mm. so we have autonomy so we could teach our young people how to go out in the world and make a real change. So I sat down with those who were bringing the funding in the capital, and they said, like, you know, typically schools, they have a mascot with lion, tigers, and all that. But me growing up, I said, no, nah, we got to be a change agent. Mm. You know, I, we our, our mascot is called the change agents because I want young people to, if I call them that every single day, then they're going to believe it. Right. That's right. They're going to go out there and they're going to make a difference. So when they see an authentic leader, I was the young, I, I opened the school at 29, I'm 34 now. They can see a young black man that come from the same streets, that have the same struggles, that, that can deliver the message in the same way, but also teach them about capital markets, teach them about, understanding colonialism so they can figure out how to navigate capitalism right so mm. this this knowledge this sacred knowledge that we want to provide for them came to just being an educator in a district no lie la shout out to lausd for believing and taking a chance on a young principal to to be the founder to write the plan and i i'm proud to say that right now we got a 100 graduation rate mm. uh, oh celebrate that. wow that's amazing 100 graduation mm. rate yeah. yeah. So we opened the school in 2018 and uh, now now we're here. This is our first graduating class this year. So we're talking today about COVID-19 and the impact on our kids, uh, particularly in the realm of education. Uh, and if you're a good educator, then you know that you can't just deal with books, reading what they say, reading, writing, arithmetic. But you also have to understand the mental capacity of our youth and what this pandemic has done. Um, we see violence is up, clearly. Suicide is up. Um, you know, it's actually pretty traumatizing watching some of the videos that are out there showing yeah. what's going on in our own communities as a result of um, what we believe is isolation. Uh, people, you know, the the poverty rate has risen. Um, all of that. So, what what have you? First of all, what are you finding? I mean, the stat is that they, that. Our kids will you will lose somewhere around a year shifting from in school learning to remote learning and, you know, people not having the technology that they needed and all of that. So give us some uh, insight on what you've been what you have found throughout this pandemic. And then moreover, what have you been doing to try to balance, um, you know, all that's all, yeah. Yeah, all that's happening? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would start off with what my father told me, the. The best cure to any disease is prevention. Mm -hmm. And being an educator, I, I'm trauma-informed because I, I'm a, I have a lived experience. So prior to the pandemic, we built, we built a school based off of trauma-informed practices, based off of building a culture where our kids felt love. Mm -hmm. So when the pandemic happened, we were able to, I, I always say a visionary leader, we was able to see some of the things prior to it. So we were able to build a virtual kind of of, of culture where our kids are posting on Instagram and they're coming on Instagram live feeling connected. Um, I always say to educators too, you know, we at our school, we're high school. We don't focus on our kids trying to identify a job. We want them to identify their purpose, mm. right? We want them to identify their gift and share it with the world. Mm. So what we found is that critical hope hit hard when the pandemic hit. The loss of critical hope. People want to say loss of academic. It was a loss of hope because hope 
started to linger in and when in the idle mind now you start to lose it more now it's like i don't want to read i don't want to do math i don't want to do arithmetic i don't even want to do an elective so we had to provide critical hope and we did that by bringing in and having i don't know if you guys remember the don't rush challenge mm -hmm. trying to focus on joy because when you find joy and you connect it to your purpose for our young people then that is an avenue and a pathway for their gift and then when you're gift driven then you can find ourselves having a still 100% graduation rate, still kids wanting to come to school virtually, still kids feeling connected. So, you know, it's not always about the arithmetic. It's about how you feel and providing that critical hope mm. um, because the pandemic created what's called hope deferred, where, where they, they tried to ignore the realities of trauma, the digital divide and, and all those type of things, which which made a lot of a lot of young people uh, fall in a spiral. So I would say that, you know, shout out to my teachers. They are some revolutionary educators who, who put boots to the ground to connect with young people so they can feel a sense of belonging. I really, I really identify with that because I think that's the way that I utilize my voice, you know, just coming from that perspective, understanding that where we come from and utilizing our trauma and all the things that we dealt with to be able to apply that and give it to these kids so they have a better opportunity. So I just want to say I salute you for that. But one of the things that really stood out to me was that your school concurrently offers you get a diploma and an associate arts degree when you graduate. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I'm going to give you context. So before we had this dual enrollment program of AB 288 in California, I, I was I was a product of a program similar when I went to high school. I graduated and I graduated high school in 2005. And then shortly after, I got my AA degree, which awarded me to start teaching at a young age and become a principal at a young age. Mm -hmm. So I wanted I wanted that same thing for my young people because we know how the system works. Our young people got to identify some things a little bit quicker. And once they identify the gift and they can navigate the system or work the system, then now they're equipped to change the system. Mm -hmm. So if if our at our school, we offer our students to take and we know the two year college, it's the same classes you're taking in high school. Pretty much. You, know, you just take it at a community college. So mm -hmm. why don't you take them concurrently? So now when you graduate high school, now you don't, you finish two years. Now you don't got to pay as much being a transfer student mm -hmm. instead of starting as a freshman. And you can still have the luxuries of staying at a university for four years. So that's what we offer right now. We're proud to say that we have like 25% of our students that's in that program that's working towards that. So uh, it's, it's, it's doing well. That is amazing. Now, yeah. do you get a lot of support from the traditional public school district? Um, are, is there collaboration from the city? Or do you feel shunned because, you know, you guys have a program that is operating probably better than the regular public school education? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a unique we're in a unique uh, state because, you know, a lot of times uh, in education, they, they want to they want to find something that they can do what, what we call cookie cutter. Right. Mm -hmm. They want to cut something. And I'm a firm believer that every community school for it to be a true community school, it has to have a uniqueness about it. Right. Be scaled to be a replication of something because every, Detroit is like Compton, but it's unique. Detroit is unique. Chicago is like Compton, but Chicago is unique. So in our school, we do have some things that we have to navigate, right? The politics, you know, street politicians, but this is the politics and the bureaucracy of the district. But we do get support because we're doing something that's the data speaks, right? Ah, the data, honey. Yeah. So, and, and I will say this. 
our primary focus is kids. We don't focus on no test score. We don't focus on comparing our students to their white counterparts. We focus on how they can be their best self. And then the, the data speaks for itself. So yeah. um, we navigate with the with the district politics and we have a we have a saying, do what we have to do so we can do what we want to do. Mm, that's, it's, that's It's funny you say that because that was the same thing that made us begin, um, you know, really focusing on data for the crisis management system, because people were saying it's no way that a program that specifically hires formerly incarcerated people uh, is proven to do violence intervention, like to bring the number of violent incidents down. And we were saying, yes, it it does. But they would not really uh, flood the program with resources until the data came in from the first few months to prove that the program actually worked. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's really what we do. I mean, we have a law academy and a courtroom on our campus. We have, we actually partner because we know this school to prison pipeline exists. Right. Right. So we have a law society where we teach our kids and shout outs to, to OSG that I'm wearing off school grounds. Um, that that works collaboratively with supporting us. So it's just something that I feel that. Shout out to OSG. Yeah, I, I work with them too, man. Dope. Absolutely. Dope organization. Absolutely. So yeah, that 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 organization that supports a coalition of ninety principles, so we can share best practices for this to work. Wow. So they, you one of the most sought after schools in your area right now. Who are some of the other people that you partner with that have made it possible? I know you need funding and things like that. So who have been some of the people who stepped up? Yeah. So I want to give a big, big shout outs to uh, the Think Watts Foundation and a rapper and an activist named Styx. Uh, him and I, you know, we met through social media. I'm born from Compton. He born in Watts. And a rapper and a principal came together to bring a brand new gymnasium sponsored by the Los Angeles Clippers, Mm. a brand new weight room sponsored by Planet Fitness, Mm. uh, where we worked on financial literacy with the Bank of California. And right now we're working on chartering a credit union at our school because I feel that if we want to change our community and change our world, we got to change the criminal justice system. Mm. However, if we really want to change the criminal justice system, personally, I feel we have to change the educational system mm. because the mindset within the pipeline of education is a condition mindset. So partner with Think Watts, we're trying to work on the economical divide that exists in public education by charting our credit union. So now macroeconomics becomes a self-sufficient school within our community. So now we can have a self-sufficient community. So shout outs to Think Watts. Shout outs to uh, Sticks for for making uh, an environment at our school. When you walk on our campus and you see a new gymnasium and you see a Planet Fitness and you see great paintings on the wall and murals, you, you're inspired. So uh, that's one of them, our biggest partnerships. Absolutely. I'm like, they got Planet Fitness. They got gym- I need to go Can there. I get re- enrolled in high school again? Because my high school years, I threw that in the trash somehow, you know, just running the street and... Um, I ended up in a program, to your point, uh, where I got my GED and my um, associate's degree at the same time at the College of New Rochelle. And then, of course, went on to get my bachelor's and to do other great things. And, And to your point, life experience has taught me so much. But I would love to go back. If people always ask me, what would I go back and do? I would go back to high school because you actually need to pay attention and not just be cutting school all the time like I did. 
But the other thing I would do is go to a HBCU, right? Like I would want to go through the experience of being at HBCU because I just want to get yeah, on the Steppers team. You want to go to school days? Yeah, I want to do school days. It's dope. But I just want to ask you a question because when you look at this school, right, and and just being from being a young black boy from marginalized communities and understanding how hard it is for black boys to to fit into the public school system like what percentage are males like males in your school cuz i you got a 100% graduation rate so i just want to know how many black men are graduating yeah yeah absolutely so i mean at our seniors 100% of our black men are graduating right so now when we let's break this down so our our total school we have 65% uh women Right. Mm-hmm. Or young, 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 young girls that are on our campus. We have 35 percent boys. Uh, but so, to your point, similar to me, like I didn't find no relevance in, in public school. No. Nope. Oh, I, I, I thought I was to change my circumstances. I thought I was going to be a rapper and I thought I was going to play football. I, I had it made like play for the Dallas Cowboys. Boom. Get up out of here. But, you know, reflecting back, you know, are the school systems like they equate good schools and marginalized communities on how well we can get students out the community. Mm. Right. And when I opened the school, I wanted to say like, how well can we like transform our community, exactly. which, are fundamentally, which are fundamentally different. Right. So as a principal, I still teach a class. So I teach all my at hope boys, right. All my at hope boys, they work with me. Cause I say like, I, nobody on the campus can connect with them. Like I can. That's right. So I teach a class one day a week where I teach them just, how to be a king, but also mm. it's important for them to see how I treat my wife, how I treat my daughter, how they can see relationships in the family dynamic. So we just teach them that, those things. Um, and I, I think that's found the greatest success at our school. I say that all the time, man. You got to see it to be it. And a lot of times people talking about leaving the hood. I'm saying you got to fix the hood. I want to I want to be able to be to contribute to making the lives of those who come from where I come from better. Yeah. You know, I don't want to take my success outside with someone else be able to, you know, reap the benefits of my success. I want the kids to see me and say, hey, this I can do this because he's from here and he can do this and he actually still here. So, you know, I really want to applaud you because I've always said that these public schools, they don't teach us the way that we need to be taught. We don't have visions of success of people that come from where we come from that look like us. You know, I actually do consulting with schools and public schools and I deal with teachers and deans and principals and explain and a lot of the questions is how can we keep you know the the um engagement focus. and the focus of these young black boys because they they they're not engaged you okay. know and I said what you have to do is find out what it is that they're interested in you got to create curriculums and you know, lesson plans and everything around would interest young black boys. You know, the the, the regular public school system is not engaging us. So yeah. I, I I want to applaud you, man, because it seems like you figured out, you know, the formula and, and it's working. Yeah. And, and I know we, we have to wrap up, but I did want to just ask you really quickly about what you're teaching your young people in terms of who we are, where we come from, right? Because, of course, the public school system teaches from the book of enslavement. That's the first step that you hear about. You don't hear the history before we actually, you know, were enslaved. And so I just wonder what type of curriculum are you teaching them that connects to the struggle that we're in today? Absolutely. So, like Marcus Garvey said, right, uh, a student that doesn't know their history is like a tree without roots. There's no way for them to grow. So for us, you know, I, my, 
I grew up on Sankofa principles and the Naguzo Saba, right? Mm -hmm. To know where you're going, you have to remember where you came from. So for our young people, and specifically my teachers, we have to we have to unpack and unlearn the system in which oppressed our minds, right? Like a lot of the teacher programs don't teach how you can connect, how to make it relevant. So what we do is we come together and we have real deep book studies. Like a book that we're covering right now is uh, Black Appetite, White Food. And understanding mm. like the, the systems of like the, the the poverty of culture that exists at many schools, right? Like they, they think that they got to fix the community. So we had to unpack and unlearn those things. And uh, we do what's called link learning. Mm. So link learning at our school is, see, when we went to school, you have math in isolation, English in isolation, and you just went to your individual class. At our school, we do what's called link learning where you will get a project and then now it's linked to all your classrooms. And mm. I'll just give you a quick quick link on one of our case studies is we study environmental racism. So we're in Watts. So we go in our study, our, our environment. So you may get this in English class where it's like, all right, we're going to look at some research and in math, they're going to be looking at where are the locations and mapping out the wow. different liquor stores, I looking at the school. centers, looking at those different things. And then we took them to the field trip to UCLA where they start to do the same thing. How many parks is in this area? And then they have to have a contrast. And then in, and then in their science class, I mean, a history class, they talked about the rise of the, um, the Roman Empire and a democratic system and different things like that. So they start to see how legislation and things start to structure. In their science class, they start to look at epigenetics and, and, and DNA and how to do fingerprints. And then after that, they build up those skills. And then we did a murder mystery, right? We did a murder mystery on our campus. And they have to use all those skills together to come up and, and infer and come up with evidence and claims about what happened. So that's like our environmental racism. And then we do crime scene investigation and then they go and act it out in the courtroom. So, wow. Um, I need, nope. a, yo, let yeah, me get a month. Need... I need a month. Like, I want to go to class. I need to be matriculated. Yeah. <laughs> I need me a little ID. Give me an ID. Yes. I'll this... cut my beard and everything. <laughs> we real, can fit. Real. We can fit. Well, I want to say thanks again for having you, man. You're doing an excellent job. You know, we unfortunately, we got to end this, but continue to work, man. You're doing the work that needs to be done. Principal Ra, one of our change makers, University Pathways Public Service Academy. For you. Revolutionary educator. Keep doing what you do, man. And thank you so much for my book, State of Emergency, is going to be on campus. I've been, in, I've been in touch with Jamila, so we're yes. working on, uh, we're buying 350 for our school. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Listen. Black folks are going to make my book a success. And that's, that's right. what I always wanted. And I appreciate it so much, brother. I really do. Yes, sir. Keep keep going. We're rooting for you. Thank you. Yes, sir. King. All right. All right. Appreciate you. All right. I appreciate y'all. Appreciate out. you. All right, y'all. Before we go to the next segment and have our special guest join, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. 
Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers, other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. New York is obviously home to us, and we were educated in New York City educational system. So yes. whenever we get to talk to people who understand our hometown, we're like, give me more, give me more. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. It's as a whole you, lot to unpack. As you would say. And today, our guest, um, she wears a few hats, but one of them is very high level uh, within the administration in, t- in the Department of Education. So, but today, we're not speaking from that hat. I just not had today. to mention that because black women need all their flowers That's all right. the time. And black people. Um, all and the acknowledgements. Yes, all do. the acknowledgements. It takes us a lot to get to these high-level positions. But we want to have the real, real conversation today. And when you speak on behalf of an institution it's a little different, yeah, you know. So that's not what we're doing today. Uh, today we're speaking to Dr. Maury Digovaya as a leadership strategist and an educational expert. You are, that's right. you know, you're, expert. You're an Expertise. educator. You're an expert in this area, um, and I'm happy to have you with us today. We're happy Thank to have you. you on set. Thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor and a pleasure. You would be probably the third person. It's to probably be our third. You, in our third studio in studio guest during this. You know, COVID had us. Everywhere outside. So, you know, it's good to be up close and personal with people who we admire and who are doing the work that we want to celebrate. And and the feeling is sentimental and and also mutual. Thank you so much. I I love your work, too. Thank you. Thank you. you. So let me start off by thanking you for for supporting uh, State of Emergency, for reading the book. You got a pre-copy of... Uh, a pre-release copy of the book and had an opportunity to really check it out. And um, I appreciate the feedback and also just your willingness to try to include it in some of your work that you're doing. So thanks a bunch. Um, So 
the schools have been closed. Are, first of all, are the schools really open? The schools are the are children open. are are they yes. in the seats? Yes. In the seats every yes. day. Okay. Yes. So what does that look so like? What it looks like is New York City has reopened. We are fully open. Elementary, middle, and high school schools are open. Mm. Children get to attend. Right. Uh, parents were allowed to opt in. So we actually have more children in now than we did, let's say, at the beginning of the school year. Okay. Right. So a few things have allowed for that. One is just an understanding of what creates good health and safety measures. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, how can I be safe? Because as a parent, that's your number one concern. Right. That's I want right. to send my child back. I want to create some degree of normalcy or defining of this new normal and getting our children back. And that was the biggest priority. So at this point, all schools are open. Okay. Right. Are all children back? No. Okay. For the parents who have opted in and wanted their children to come back, they've had the option and they're there. Okay. So, so do, one question: Do you do you guys have the COVID test? Like, are there for the administrators, particularly? And I know we're not speaking from a DOE perspective, mm-hmm. but just teachers in general across the nation, are they doing COVID testing on a regular basis? Yes. Yes. Okay. So within New York City, we do have testing and tracing going on uh, for students and staff who are in place. Look, we, we might be done with COVID, but COVID's not done with us. Okay. Right? So that's a, just a brutal truth. So the parents who have said, yes, I'm going to opt in. Yes, I'm going to send my child back. That is a part of the agreement that you're having your child tested. Um, okay. A lot of Department of Education employees have also got, uh, gone for the vaccination. Mm. We can't mandate that. Like, mm-hmm. That's that's a personal choice. choice. Yeah. But people have, you know, taken on these measures to help again, just reacclimate and get back to what we would consider, you know, what we formerly knew as normal. Even though it's never going to be the never same quite be. again, yeah. right? right? But the idea is, we know that our kids learn best when they're back in person. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that. Um, so, from your point of view, how many? How many? Not your point of view, but how many? What percentage of children would you say are back in? Um. I would say maybe a little less than fifty percent. Mm. Okay. So what are what are the measures that you take? Are you doing homeschooling for those who opt out? Right. So you have remote learning. Remote learning, I apologize. Okay, remote yeah. learning. And this is across the nation because we're not talking about New York New specifically. York specifically. Yeah. Across you've the seen, nation. You've seen school districts take on the idea of either like a hybrid model where some children are in person and some children are remote. You've seen school districts that are fully open, mm-hmm. right? Depending upon, and it's mandated that your kid come back. Yeah, your kid yeah. comes back. So schools are. I think it really it depends on community demand, parent voice, which is something that's really been important. I know for me, thinking as an educator, I'm listening to the community. Mm. Like I need to know what parents really want to see happen. Like what are their concerns? Where are we missing the mark? Sometimes those conversations can get contentious, but it's in the contention that you actually get the answers. <laughs> That's so right. when we when we bugging right. as parents, we wilding out. That's what we're like, taking notes. I'm like, uh huh, uh huh. I hate this because I'm a parent myself. Right? Okay. I, have, I have an eight year old. Another I hat. Have, yes, another hat. I have an eight year old. I have an eleven year old, and they're both in public schools. Right. So I'm clear what it's like to be in a meeting. Like this was in the height of COVID. Right. I know what it's like to be in a meeting in upstairs. And my son is in the hallway and my daughter's in the living room and everybody's on remote and the internet goes down because the expander wasn't working. Mm. I'm clear what it looks like. And it's and it was and I'm an educator. Mm. And I was like clicking and rocking myself. So it it's it is very, so unless you've had that experience, right? And then there are parents who are dealing with other experiences. We have fair families who are living in shelters, mm. we have families who are living in temporary housing. So you, the empathy level has to go up a whole notch and be also able to not take it personally, but let me hear your story, mom. We got Mother's Day coming up. If you really want to honor mothers and like single moms who are in these situations with their children, 
knowing that if you got five kids, you need five devices. Mm. Right? Every you can't be sharing devices. No. One child might be in high school, another two might That's be in middle fact. school, two might be in elementary, one might be in early childhood, and everybody gets to learn. Right. So a lot of it has also been educating teachers, administrators around their own social emotional awareness. Where are you in your empathy meter? Right. And the, and the, the dynamic that we're also up against is that teachers and educators and administrators, they too need some empathy. Yeah. Right. We all heard the African proverb, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. But I always say who's in the village. Mm. And during this season, for me, it's been around a 360 approach, like all the way around to all stakeholders have to be well. Mm. Right. So that our children are well. Mm. We have focused a lot on our kids. But in order for our children to learn, in order for our children to get access, in order for our children to really be able to ride this wave, the social emotional piece ha- must be in place. It must be. You know, I think prior to COVID, we would say things like, you know, order precedes learning. Now I would say that social emotional awareness mm. precedes learning. Yeah. So that parent who comes to you frazzled, right? And then let me say this, even though we say schools are open, if there's a certain amount of cases, schools have to be responsible and say, you got to close down. Wow. So you may be on a drop of a dime going right back to remote. Mm. So that's not because it's the school systems are horrible, bad people. But we are also navigating and negotiating through this pandemic, which no one has done before. Mm. No so it's that type of flexibility. We also got to, you know, hug parents. I'm use the word hug. <laughs> hug them through because that's really because I got to go to work. Right? right. I got to go to work. You Man, know, that, that's gotcha. like real talk. I got to go to work. And now you're telling me the school's closed because there was a case. Does my kid have it? Now, it, it just spirals. I live with grandma. It just spirals. So my number one job has been listener. Mm. I got to hear what your story is because I know my household is not your household. Well, first of all, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. You know, because happy Mother's Day to you uh, as well. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yes, you know, Mother's Day. Day. So just listening to this, right, I know that it is affecting the teachers as well as the students. When when you when you started to open the schools back, did you know what did you notice was the biggest takeaway that was impacted? Did you see children were having a problem getting back into the groove of just going to school? Nope. Kids are so happy to be back in public mm. school. They are <laughs> my niece is so happy. They to be are back so happy. My right. sister said to me today that she felt like my niece could have been on board, like borderline depression. Like she was really worried mm-hmm. about what was happening to Skyla because she was home. First of all, my mother had a stroke and Skyla became oh, wow. the caregiver. <laughs> she yeah. was like the, the extra hand in the house because my mom's like, my dad is taking care of my mom. But my niece is a girl that's home. So she's like, I don't want to talk to him about certain things. So Skylar, Skylar, Skylar. And, and of course, my niece got in there and did a good job. But after a while her own friends. Like, what happens to your life? You become grandma and grandpa's best buddy. It's very crazy because for me, like, school is such an intricate part of childhood. Yes. You know, when you think about all of the most important things that happen to you, especially through, from grade school to high school, it's it happened in school. You yeah. Remember, you know, the first argument you had in third grade, the first girl you liked that was in yep. your class, you know, all social of the things, factors, social man. factors really. So when, I, when I'm looking at my sons who are seven and nine years old, and this whole year they were in the school, and, they, and, and what they did was 
you know, go straight to this computer and play these games all day mm-hmm. and started losing social skills. I had to turn it off and say, look, Absolutely. we going outside. Right. We, you're going to do something outside in the park, you know? So just, I, I, so I definitely understand. Back in the group. Yeah. But are they having mental health issues or? So, so this is where the sensitivity comes in, right? So there's been a great push around the social emotional learning supports, right? So what do you do when a child's in crisis, right? Because remember, for some children coming back, it's jarring. And, and if you were, let's say you were remote, maybe you're coming back in person, which is cool on one hand, but the teachers who you may have had remotely, you may not have in person. Mm. Because teachers also have different accommodations. Some people have health measures that they're considering before they go. Well, 600,000 people died almost. Hello. Now, some of them is because of the actual virus and other parts of it is because of the care that we should have been get lack thereof, right? right? So let's be clear about that because I'm, you know, really like, the numbers, we understand 600,000 people were impacted and they died, but some of it is because the systems are failing. Yes, yes. And that is where schools get to say, when you see a child in crisis, mm. how, who are you in that? So there's been a lot of effort around training. So we're doing things like yoga and mindfulness training. So mm. we have a program, of, I'm going I'm to I'm shout out New York City for a minute. Okay. Uh, we have the uh, yoga and mindfulness teacher preparation program. Mm. And in that program, what we've done is take educators and initially, to be honest, it was about really trying to conserve money because schools were spending a lot of money on vendors. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to have teachers within our school system wow. who were certified and trained in yoga and mindfulness. And I cannot tell you, we finished our first cohort, which was cohort zero, last January. And talk about that. I was a part of that cohort. Timeliness was everything. Because to be able to go into meetings now and let's start off with a mindfulness meditation. Let's do the six movements of the spine so you can move, right? And bringing that to schools has been transformative. So the child who's in crisis, let me work with you on deep breathing. Let me calm you down. Let me let you see that your agency still lives with inside of you and that you're not, you're not a product of what you've gone through, but you're a possibility. So that is that's been the work. And you know, making sure, again, that the teachers and the leaders are well positioned to think that way. Mm. Because if you are in crisis, just because the adults are in crisis, some of them. Right. Straight, straight talk. Right. So making sure that there is a wellness on the adult spectrum also can help mirror what happens. So that that's one example, the yoga and mindfulness work. Um, there's also been a lot of supports within uh, the school culture and climate uh, division mm. around what happens when uh, teachers are trained within different modalities around social emotional wellness, Mm. right? So that can look like the breath. That can look like movement. That can look like how you organize your classroom. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because sometimes, you know, you walk into a classroom where there's social distancing going on, right? Everybody's coming at you in a mask. You know, you can't, you're there with your friends, but you don't see them like you're used to. You can't connect with them at lunchtime. It changes everything. It changes changes all those dynamics. Let let me ask you this last question because we, we, unfortunately, we have uh, more guests than usual today Mm -hmm. talking about this COVID crisis in education. And I want to get to this one point. They say we're losing a year, that our students will lose a year. So as someone who I'm sure you're working with teachers all across the country, you guys Mm -hmm. are parts of different groups that talk about this stuff. What are we missing? What do parents need to know? And how can they help their children to get this year back? Yeah, I mean, it's a finger on the pulse, right? Tell me where my child is and how they're performing. It's really, we got to get some baseline assessments. Mm. Where are our children as readers? Where are our children as writers, as mathematicians? Help me understand where they are, right? Because for some children, they thrived in this arena of remote learning. Some kids are like, oh, this is awesome. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm more, some kids are more on point now than when they have to go in person. Sure, maybe, you know, maybe in person caused a, it was a long commute to get there. Right. And now I can just turn my computer and be excellent. Right. <laughs> so there's that, but, you, but at the bottom line is sh- tell me where my child is. And so the assessments that get done, so you can, you can say your child is at this level in reading, your child is doing this in math. And then the, the connected point that you mentioned earlier, my son, right? The idea of I'm a connected parent. So I am still, even though I might be remote, even though you might be going back and things are shifting over these next couple of weeks until we get to the end of the school year because your teacher might be different and so forth. Tell me what you're working on. Be curious about where my, your child is in terms of what's expected from the teachers and so forth. So that way you, you too have your finger on the pulse to help guide from the home. Mm. And that's how the homeschool connection gets strengthened as well. Wow. Well, we really you want to thank you. You got to come back. <laughs> I will. We ain't have enough time, but we just want to thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely. And, and continue. Thank, uh, thank you all for taking our kids because <laughs> when this remote learning and stuff, us having to do it ourselves was driving me insane. Daddy school was okay, but it was driving me. I needed some more time off. And them little breaks, they wasn't enough. So we want to say <laughs> we appreciate And I celebrate the parents on that. Yes. We, we are with you, and that's why we had to make sure that our priority is to reopen schools. And across the country, you're seeing that. So I hope people are experiencing that and benefiting from it. Wow. Well, Thank you so much, you. Dr. Maury. Yes. We appreciate you so much, and we can't wait to have you back to talk more. And, yes. and, and, and really... And tell think, us about the progress. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. We need okay. that because, need that. because these parents need some help. Look, we all need some Come up here and advocate for a job. That's Look, right. And we need, we, need, we need community Absolutely. building, rebuilding to bring our children up to yes. speed because they're not going to be able to compete on a global yeah, level. Yeah, we get to write our own narrative. That's right. Yeah. We have to write our own narrative. Enough of our children being marginalized is not being able to. Our children are more than capable. Yes, sir. And once we position them that way, they will win. Oh, well, you should Dr. Murray. You needed to teach me and my child. Teach me. I love you. Teach well, us. Thank you so much, we Dr. Love you, Murray. Girl. Thank you. Well, Before we go to the next segment and have our special guest join, We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that could become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, 
and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. So keeping up with our theme about COVID and its effect on our schools, we have another guest. And we have Mr. Abdul Salim Hassan. He is the superintendent of schools for the East Orange, New Jersey School District and the former assistant commissioner for the state of New Jersey. How you doing today, my brother? How you doing, sir? It's, it's great to be here with you, too. Last year has been really tough. You know, um, my kids go to school in Jersey, so I understand a lot that's going on in there. Can you give us, like, some updates are kids back in school fully? What's going on in Jersey? Well, first, again, I, I want to just thank you two for the work that you both do out in the community. And, uh, you know, I, I just can't thank you enough for addressing the real needs of our community. Um, as you know, that, you know, all school districts are totally impacted by this pandemic uh, and COVID and when it comes to our families, um, et cetera. Um, as you have previously stated, you know, I'm the superintendent of East Orange School District and the former assistant commissioner of New Jersey Department of Education, which oversees all the superintendents in the state of New Jersey. Mm. Um, with that being said, we wrote the book, The Manu, in conjunction with other stakeholders around the country when it came to reopening. Currently, I am reopened. I, I opened on April the 19th, and it is some things that impacted the urban community. So we may not have opened like some of the suburban community because of certain issues and concerns that that is, that is transparent of that we can address when it comes to equities mm -hmm. of suburban communities versus rural communities and urban communities of our needs. So it took us a while to get it open. Um, we got it done and, and we got it done in a safe manner. And that's always my goal as the superintendent to protect the students, the families and the community stakeholders. And it was all a partnership between our mayor, um, the local health department and the school district. And, you know, of course, our elected officials. So can I ask a quick question? What do you think are some of the issues that affected black and brown communities that didn't affect the other communities that you know well, first, of? First and primary, and you, you heard it all over uh, the country, it was the digital divide. That right. was a huge impact to our community because uh, unlike suburban communities, they could just go out in the schools or parents could just go buy a $300 Chromebook for a student. But when it comes to these large school districts, large school districts like Newark having 30 some students or my district having 10,000 plus students, when you're talking about buying Chromebooks for a whole school district is a whole different uh, a vision. And it takes funds to do that uh, when mm. you, and you project your budget year to year. So right currently when you're in COVID, you don't have the budget to go buy that volume of computers. But thank, thank you to the CARES Act and all the support from the, uh, the federal government and local government. We were able to achieve that. But it wasn't on the onset of July. You know, mm. we were July, we were supposed to open up. All of us were always planning. So when we got to September, many school districts didn't have the adequate computers because like the things that go over overseas when it comes to China, they weren't able to send the computers over to us in the ways that they usually send computers. So all of us were in a deficit of waiting for computers, with impact, which impacted the readiness of schools. So when you're sending kids home from a brick and mortar, 
which you're used to going to school every day to an online platform. You can't have an online platform if you don't have a, a computer. And wow. if you don't have a computer, you can't log on to a learning management system to get inside of a classroom. Yeah, but we're, we, I'm sorry. And we heard, you know, one of the um, one of the other educators who was on with us earlier was speaking to, you know, not being able to share computers because that was the thing in a lot of households that they were being uh, or asked to or had no choice but to share devices. And that doesn't work. Yes, you, you're absolutely correct. And if you think about when kids are home and it would be on the online platform, the, if the computer's with one student or one family member, what is the other family members doing mm. when they're supposed to be walking classes? So we were able to accommodate our students. If it's three students and three family members in the house, we were able to give them all devices. Not only are devices a conversation, it's also a Wi-Fi conversation mm. of wow. Wi-Fi. So that is an issue too in the urban community because with buying all these new devices, all these new Chromebooks, new Dells, they're pulling more strength from the Wi-Fi. So they're changing mm. everybody these networks, which yeah, causes some of, the, some of the places, the city Wi-Fi is to move slow, as well as the, the uh, infrastructure inside the school district on the hybrid. So it's a lot of conversations that we didn't always see, of course, during, during uh, the pandemic that we had to address and become reactionary to. Wow. Yeah. This... And I experienced that, you know, do, having to do Zoom meetings and calls and having two children that are on two separate computers just completely taking up the Wi-Fi and, and everything is pausing and it's just not really working. So, you know, I'm, I understand that was a real challenge for us who were, you know, parents dealing with remote learning. But since children have been back in school, what do you think are some of the major steps that you've taken to help them reacclimate to school and keep them healthy at the same time? My son, that's a good question, my brother. And and some of that area is that we know that our, our students, as well as the community, has experienced real trauma mm -hmm. during this pandemic. So the first thing we got to do is address social emotional learning to get them back into the mindset of learning. Um, though, because we know, and you heard it all through the news, that the whole country is being impacted with the learning loss by far. So if we hear that the suburban communities are impacted by learning loss, rural communities are impacted by learning loss, you can only imagine the impacts to the urban community because when it comes to assessments, usually our assessment scores are not like the suburban communities. Mm -hmm. So that learning loss is, is, is significant in our communities. So what we're doing in our communities is really focusing on um, after-school enrichment, online platforms, as well as focus on summer enrichment for our students in person, mm -hmm. full day. Because a lot of times when you look at summer school for people who have kids, a lot of times it's half a day, and then you gotta figure out what you're gonna do. So we wanna uh, give some academics and also address some social emotional learning yeah. doing that summer enrichment. So we can, we bring our kids back in September that they are straight and they are ready to, to go to school. And is, that's is there a plan to have actual summer school, not just in, in New Jersey that you know of, but across the country, are you hearing this idea of, of having instituting summer school to try to catch up? We've been talking on this show today about this one year gap. Uh, that you know the the studies are saying, and we hear on the meet in yeah, the media that is that our kids are going to lose one year. Black kids, particularly black and brown kids, in comparison to the few months that white kids who live in suburban communities or children who are are more well off, um, it, it won't be as bad. So, do you think summer school is what needs to be instituted? Do you think that there also needs to be a curriculum that the parents um, have at their disposal to work with their kids over the summer? I think, Mallory, I think that's the great point that you're talking about right now. Uh, it is definitely needed, um, the enrichment and from what area that, it, that students need it. 
Um, I'm opening up my summer school for pre-K to 12 for all mm. grades, um, full day for all students. Um, I did work it out. How are you going to pay for it? And that's a beautiful, great question. I'm very thankful that the federal government gave us, like we talked about earlier, the CARES funding. Mm -hmm. Some of the CARES funding is broken down in specific areas where you have to use it. And part of the money is used for uh, summer enrichment and learning loss. Wow. So we get all our money for that learning loss. Also, too, I'm very thankful that the federal government, as well as our state government, gave us some money to also address trauma and mental health. Mm. So we can address that. And not only just for the students, but also for the staff. So, so the last thing I just want to ask um, is what are we missing? As a community, what are we missing? What is it that you feel like is something that the entire community, educators, parents or not, can be doing to help our kids? Well, you know, I'm always, and I see you do it all the time, advocacy is key. key. Mm -hmm. and we need to continue to advocate for our rights, our citizen rights. And I'm talking about being very transparent with that conversation. And sometimes when you go to certain key stakeholders, you may think you don't have rights, but you do have rights. Mm -hmm. So we have to really, like they say, a squeaky wheel gets, gets the attention. Mm -hmm. We got to continue to be that squeaky wheel to get what is needed for our communities and advocate for our rights. So I always tell parents, advocate, advocate through your local elected officials to get your just due, to make sure your students and your stakeholders get what they need. The other thing is, too, we want to make sure that we're taking care of the facilities. Because, you know, with COVID was all the HVAC concerns. We want to make sure not only do we comply with CDC guidelines, but we want to make sure our schools look like the schools in the suburbs, just like any other school, college campuses, all the landscaping, all when you go into malls and different places where they hire extra staff to wipe down. We want to make sure we have, we provide all the resources that other communities have. We want that in urban districts as well. Can I, I just want to end on this question because this is very important. I was a student athlete, you know, and a lot of these children are going to school with athletic you know, abilities, abilities yeah. and they yeah. missed the whole year. Like if you, if you're a junior or you're a senior and this was your last year and you playing basketball and you were hoping to get scholarships, like this is very serious. So is there some type of plan implemented? Because a lot of, especially black and brown communities, we, we don't have a lot of finances and a lot of us are looking for scholarships and looking to be seen. And, and a lot of people have missed whole years of sports that have put their whole life. Parents have invested pretty much their whole um, career and their whole education for these kids to, you know, to be able to play these sports. So is there any process or something being put in to make sure that these kids still have opportunities? My brother, again, great question. Uh, and, and we were able to to have sports and extracurriculum activities during COVID. Wow. Our basketball team went nine and two. Mm. I was excited. We had to address the COVID uh, CDC compliance guidelines. Our football team had a season. Our girls uh, volleyball team had their season. We got boys volleyball. And, you know, I'm very thankful to the New York Jets that they sponsored, in addition, uh, girls flag football. Mm. So it's a couple of school districts that got into that. So the kids have been playing sports. The cheerleaders have been doing their, their part. But we also had to address anything that dealt with positive co uh, contact tracing wow. uh, with that. And it was very limited, but that did impact some of the season. Um, but it's been fine. The kids are attending extracurriculum activities. And also, too, we've been able to get some of our kids in to do social justice activities. Mm -hmm. Definitely at Starnes Campus High School. So they've been doing amazing stuff. Our mayor has also put out a mural for um, Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. So, we're, you know, we're addressing these things because we have to, we have to also understand that during this pandemic, we also had another current going on. That's right. Black Lives Matter. Right. And our That's kids right. are very impacted by that because even though we see in other communities, 
set our family members or their family members being assaulted or sometimes death. But it also happened in these communities, too, and it's not in the newspaper. Yes, so our kids are very impacted by this. And to see that type of energy on the news for weeks and weeks and weeks with COVID, that tore into the mental health of our students as well. Mm. And when you when you when you look at those who have who have lost their lives from George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Amar Arbery and Dante Wright and many others. This is not over the work. So uh, that level of advocacy, I always appreciate you too for the level of advocacy you do, but our students are doing it as well. That's right. Well, thank you. Thank man. you. This was a dope show. It was. We Very learned informative. a lot. I learned a lot. I learned a lot, man. We talked to educators from our communities, educating our children, talking about how these disparities impact our children. Yes, so, you know, it was really dope. Um, they were so, great guests. Excellent guests. Yeah. And you know why I love uh, street politicians? Why? Because like, it's the number one show. Well, that's why. That's it's the number one, one show in the world. It's the number in the one world, show in the world. world. We're manifesting. That's right. Um, but also because we get to bring the type of content that we want to see. Yeah, right? This man. is what we always want to see. Yeah, we to get see. to bring the people we want because a lot of people have to bring who they should bring. And no, we want to bring people who building need it, to be highlighted. Building it from the bottom You know, up. we want to give you your roses now. We want to elevate you before the world. See, we, yeah. we, we had to see this talent. are really making change. Yeah, real because change. Because a lot really. of shows are built around what big celebrity you're going to have on. And not to say that we won't have those people at different times. We've had a number of Because we got friends that's right. celebrities right. and stuff. And we've had a number of people. Um, but I like the fact that we're not, we're staying true to who we are. And yeah. that is that, you know, our celebrity friends they're our friends. They're not celebrities. They're right. our friends. You know what I'm saying? So when we bring them on, it's because it's for they're a doing something and exactly. they're impacting the world as well. But there are so many people, to your point, that need their flowers. And especially, I really And they think, need to be highlighted before. Yeah. You know, they need somebody to see them and help them along the way. Not yeah. just yeah. get them when they already made it. Exactly. Well, know? hey, now that's, you know? that's, a, that, that's Ain't a that a word? word? That's a word. Won't he do it? Yeah, <laughs> that's a word. <laughs> But, um, you know, and then and I also think that we should every three months at least check in with professionals about what's happening in education, because guess what? Everything else we're talking about every day, we have, you know, every week we have different shows with different content that's important. But how our students get reacclimated to the educational system is probably one of the most important things we could ever cover. Especially so. in our communities, which brings me. To my, I don't get it. You're, you don't get it. What don't you get? You know, there's week? been a lot of things lately. Like, we've been overwhelmed with police brutality and, you know, and losing lives at the hands of police and just so many different disparities that black and brown people are dealing with in this community, in the world, period. And to see black leaders and, you know, politicians actually say, that America is not uh, a racist country uh, is some shit that I don't get at all. How do you build the found when you build something on racism? It was built. This America was built on racism. Slaves were brought here and built this country. Enslaved people. Enslaved people. Were people were enslaved and brought here, and those people built this country brick by brick. So the foundation of America is racist, right? And then you look right now, we still have a structure of white supremacy that functions and profits off racism. It profits off keeping marginalized communities marginalized. Mm -hmm. It profits on the backs of imprisoned 
black and brown people who are the people who they enslaved in this country. Mm. So when you have black people who have actually and obviously know that, to utilize their voices and platforms to say that America is not a racist country, I just don't get it. It's not even genuine. It's not real. What happens is you make our people lose faith in you. Mm. And that's just a fact. And no matter how much you want to support and how much you respect some of the things that people have done, when you say things like that, you lose credibility. It's hard enough for us to get people to buy into this system at all. Right. You know, it's hard. And you want and you want things, you want people to be successful. You want our vice president to be successful. You 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 love being successful means that they would actually be able to help our community. Be able to help our community. <laughs> so we we don't want them to fail. So exactly. Okay. America is built on racism. That's not something the the whitest white person can tell you that. Yeah. You know, I so mean, when, when, when you as a black man who've experienced a black woman who've yeah. experienced yeah. racism right. to say that it's not it's just like it's not even genuine. Well, and they're people trying know to that say you... that they've experienced racist people, but they're not. They're 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 uh, they're attempting to separate the country from its history. Okay, but that's not true. And that... because what Kamala said was like actually an oxymoron. Yeah, because yeah. she said separating the country from the people. No, but listen to what she said. She said, "I don't believe that America is a racist country, but we have to be honest about the history of racism in this country, and then talk about." Racism in this country now. Duh. Yeah, but that's... If you're honest about the history of racism in this country, then we realize that this country was built (laughs) off racism. And if we're honest about the present state of racism in this country, then we honestly know that racism still is one of the major factors of this country. So if it was built on it, and it's still flourishing today, then America is a racist country. But this is what I'm saying. What she is attempting to do, right? Which is unfortunate because they're following someone like Tim Scott who meant exactly what he said and how he said it, right? He ain't no uncle of mine. And I get that you're making a funny reference, but no, he's actually not. Because while Tim Scott has actually been a part of a few very progressive things like mass incarceration, dealing with trying to end mass incarceration. He's been involved in Opportunity Zones and a few other things that have been sort of... I um, just, I, I never... See, my thing is this. Tim Scott is one of those black people, right, who just tipped the iceberg. Well, right? no, but let me so, just... Let so me when just you fin- say let involved... Let me finish my it, point. Okay. Let me just finish okay. my point. When I say involved, I'm saying that there are... He's at tables as a part of... Uh, a group of people, a group of Republicans and others who have sat down together with Democrats and said, we're going to work on these things. Mm-hmm. And so my point is that he tries to use that as a way of showing that I, I'm in solidarity with my community. When in fact, he supports a party and is used often as a token to speak against what black people, the majority of us feel and exactly. say and think and he, what we are usually, experiencing. From, from my so I don't play around with him. Yeah, he usually guts most of the major things that we need in our community. Well, he tries to do that. Of, that's for what sure. his, main, his major focus is every right. time. He said, yeah, we'll give you this, but you just got to take all But you don't need the parts the that are actually the most change. powerful. Exactly. And so, of course, and, and, that, and my point wasn't that He's done anything great. I'm mm-hmm. saying that he's been a part of 
a number of caucuses, if you will, that have addressed certain issues, but yet and still none of it is operating in the ways that it needs to. Because if you don't believe that America is racist, you can't possibly pass legislation that addresses institutional and systemic racism in this nation. So, Tim Scott, I don't even talk about him much. That's my only thing I have to say about that. I voted for Kamala Harris. Me too. So that's who I want to talk about. And I, right. And, and that's and why vice, I voted so I can have the right to talk about her exactly. and hold her accountable. See, I tell exactly people all the time right. when you vote for somebody, then you get to call them out and say, oh, no, this is some bullshit. Right. So, and we love you, but this is some bullshit, and we're going to make sure you get it right. That's right. We're going to sit you down Absolutely. because we voted for you. Absolutely. And my vote counts, and I need you to hear what I'm saying. That's right. Because you can't get this vote again if you don't hear what I'm saying. Yeah, as vice president, you know, I have a great deal of respect for uh, Kamala Harris, for Vice President Kamala Harris, but I still know and understand that she and Congressman Jim Clyburn, who I also have a great amount of respect for, they are part of the institution. Mm -hmm. They are a part of a group of people who would like to believe that they can, which makes me so angry. Yeah, it's, it's and accurate. it's one of the biggest things that I was upset about with Congressman Clyburn in terms of defunding the police. When they tried to make it seem as if because certain candidates even support or are even cool with people who support defunding the police, that that's why they were they either lost their election or why they were struggling. And we know that it's not accurate because look at someone like Cori Bush, um, who Congresswoman Cori Bush, who won based upon the fact that she was 100% down, 10 toes down defund the police. Same with AOC, same with Ilhan Omar, and the list goes on and on and on. Okay, so it's not true because the problem is, again, being a part of the institution is that they want, and, and, and of course you can't really become vice president without supporting and being a part of this, you know, System, this this whole thing, world. and 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 what they are trying to do, what they are attempting to do, is to win over people who do not, not like them. us. They don't work with us. They, they don't care about our issues. They are not, they don't support you at all. They don't at all. They do not. They won't. And I understand the whole like, well, there are other black and brown progressives who also don't like the language defund the police. They may not. But I tell you one thing, they will not vote against you because of it. That's right. Those people will not. They, the ones who will vote against you are the same people who've been voting against you. That's but right. those who say, well, I am progressive and I support the movement, they might say they don't like the language defund the police, but they are yes, not right. about to say, well, that's a deal breaker and I don't support you as a result of it. That's so when you sit and try to equivocate or, you know, you try to find a way to maneuver certain things, and we've all been in those situations when you get asked questions that require you to speak to things that you know can be problematic the next day. You know it. And you're trying to maneuver your response. What happens is you lose so many people. And the reason why we know this is because there are other elected officials who will 100% say that this is a racist country. To your point, when the institutions are racist, the country is racist. Unless... Because now the representation of our country, that's Joe Biden, President Biden, and Vice President Harris, 
You can change it. That's right. You have the opportunity to change it. And I say all the time, you must change it. Like, you have to be loyal to your constituents. You have to be loyal to the voters, the people who got you in. You know, this trying to play the middle, it's not really going to work. You know, when you ask questions that you know are going to negatively affect your base, the people who actually support you, and you sacrifice your base to try to get support from people who never supported you, it's not a winning strategy. Mm -hmm. It has never worked. It's not going to work. It never will work. It is not a winning strategy. So what I say is this, everybody who's on my on my Instagram saying, well, y'all voted for her. Yeah, yeah, this is what you get. Yes, you're 100% right. I voted for her. And when I voted, I told you I was going to call everybody out every time they didn't do something that made sense to our communities because we voted them in. And everybody who voted this administration in has the right to challenge them, to tell them that they're wrong, to call them out yeah. every time. So that's why that's why we voted for them, because we want them to understand that they have to be loyal to us. Nobody is perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect leader. I know that the last administration had to get the hell out of well, here. Well, they were actual white supremacists, racist, they had wild, to go the crazy line. people who were go. running up the side of the wall, killing people and hanging nooses on the state capitol property. So, you know, you pick your poison. Of course, we understand that. These people are not perfect. The like you said, the, we understand that this, the, the, structure. the structure of this country is exactly the racist structure that that I'm sure Vice President Harris is working within and learning even more. At When she was a senator, she knew it. But now that she's vice president, she damn sure knows that this country is dangerously oppressive and it's it's racist at the core. And maybe for whatever reason, and I understand the hope and vision of, well, the country, meaning that all the people here are not racist, but they, nobody was talking about the people. People are That's talking right. about the, the country and the, the institutions America and as structure. an institution. That's what we're talking about. And if you want to make the distinction, what she should have said, in my opinion, is that American, the American people are not overall racist, but America's institutions are definitely racist and must be changed. Ooh, and listen, that would have been, and that's she, it. She would have said that. I've been arguing with a few people. Listen, about I'm gonna go to when you say that, system. I'm gonna go to war with you, man. Listen, the bottom line for me is if you tell the truth, you're gonna shame the devil. Mm. And with that said, I'm not gonna always be right. <laughs> Tamika D. Mallory is not going to always be wrong. Most of the time, she probably will, and I'll be right. But we will both always, and I mean always, be authentic. We got a few days. Go pre-order my book. Shameless plug. State of State emergency. emergency. State of emergency. Salute, number one podcast. Thanks for joining. Hit us up. Let us know if you got something Peace. you want to hear. You got some topics. We here. We here. Number one. We number one. We number one. Good job, good job, good job, good job. That's how we own it, that's how we own it. That's how we own it. That's how we own it, that's how we own it. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. 
FX's Clint. Now streaming only on Hulu. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR. 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com iPhone for details.